Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I head to Stanley Military Cemetery to talk with medical products businessman George Cotherley. George Cotherley was born in the Stanley Civilian Internment Camp in September 1942 during the Japanese military occupation here in the Second World War. So we're now in the uh, military cemetery in Stanley where many of those who died during the internment in Stanley were buried. It's also uh, where my great-great-grandmother is buried and her grave is here. I was told by Mabel Anslow that she used to wheel me in a makeshift pram into the cemetery as part of taking me out because my mother was very ill and couldn't look after me. So there was a group of young ladies who were deputed to look after me, including Mabel, also May Ride. And the first time I ever met May Ride, and I didn't know who she was except that I knew she was the wife of the former Vice-Chancellor of Hong Kong University. And I sat down next to her and she said, the last time I saw you, I was bouncing you on my knee. And I said, how did that happen? And then she explained the, 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 the background. But this was a place that a lot of the internees came because they were allowed to come in here. And it was a place where they could be a little bit quieter. They could engage in some amorous activities, which I believe did go on. And that was a nice place of peace for them. It just got them out of the, the main area of, of the prison compound, or at least the prison complex. Tell me about your connection with Stanley Internment Camp. Okay, well, I was born in Stanley Internment Camp. I was one of 52 uh, who were born in Stanley Internment Camp, and I think I was about number 10. Of course, I've met many of them who have been born there and some who weren't born there but who were interned as very young kids. So can I ask, what year were you born? So I was born in September 1942. The last one was born in 1945, just before internment ended. Now, when we're standing here on a, a lovely sunny day, we're actually next to a large stone showing actually some military people who are interned here. Now, do you have any special connection to Stanley? Well, apart from being born in Stanley and apart from the fact that my great-great-grandmother is buried here, that's my connection to Stanley. My late wife was also born in Stanley because her father was a civil servant and he was the administrative officer for the prisons department. So in that respect, as a family, we had a lot of connection. Uh, we both started off here. So you are born in September 1942. It must have been very challenging for your parents to have a baby in internment camp. Well, it was a deliberate decision, my mother told me. What was fortunate was that my father didn't have to fight because he was selected among the bank employees to stay in the bank to keep it going through the hostilities. So this was uh, Hong Kong Bank? Hong Kong Bank, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was uh, a Hong Kong Defence Force and all the rest, um, so he was all prepared to fight, but he didn't. And as a result, then, they were both reunited at the end of the hostilities. And my father had had to stay in the bank, and they had camp beds there, um, and they, they lived in the bank for those 14, 15 days. And my mother was an auxiliary of voluntary nurse at Bowen Road Hospital, uh, together with May Ride. That's how she knew May Ride. So when everything stopped, they basically first met each other on the Murray Parade Ground, where uh, everyone was assembled to be marched down to Western District to be billeted in uh, what they were told were hotels. And my mother doesn't tell me, but she told for an interview, um, and I have a transcript of it, for the Hong Kong Bank history. And she said when they got to the hotels, they looked around, they couldn't find the dining room. And they said, where's the dining room? And the staff said, it's not that kind of hotel. So she said, I realise we were in the brothels 
of Hong Kong. She said, that's where my son was conceived. And subsequently, I have actually, through Tony Badham's website, discovered which room it was and which hotel it was. So I can track myself from my very, very earliest beginnings. And what's the building now? Oh, it's, it's, it's a commercial building. Actually, I, have, I must say, I haven't looked up to see what it is, but I, I did find the building name and the, I think the street number also is, is there as well, yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your parents. What was your mum's name and, and, and was she a, a nurse by profession or no, she no. became... No, my, my, my mother was um, from uh, a, uh, an old family uh, and she was born in Shanghai. Um, and uh, her father was, was, his name was Kenneth Campbell. He was an engineer from Scotland who'd come out to Shanghai and uh, was a partner in a company called Mackenzie and Company. And as a sideline, he was also head of the International Settlement Fire Services um, until he retired from that and then it was made a full-time job. Um, and my uh, uh, grandmother um, was the uh, one of uh, uh, three daughters of uh, Richard Howard Hurd, who in turn was the son of John Hurd of Augustine Hurd and Company. So that's the uh, providence of the, of, of the family. It goes back um, to Augustine Hurd in those days. And my mother um, and father met in Shanghai. My father was posted to Shanghai. And my mother was working in the Hong Kong Bank. She was part of the initial intake of women that the Hong Kong Bank had. Um, and that's how they met. And what's your, what was your mum's name? My mother's Dorothy uh, Campbell, and was her maiden name. And uh, so they, they meet in Shanghai or in Hong Kong? No, they met in Shanghai um, and got married in Shanghai. And then after they were married, I think my father was posted to Bangkok um, and then uh, to Hong Kong uh, just before the war. Um, so I think he was in... And they lived up on Mount Austin. And your um, father's name? Uh, was Well, his uh, real name is George Hunter Coverley. In his family, he was always called Hunter because his father was called George. And in, after that, when he came to work for the Hong Kong Bank, he was called Joe um, because he was... One day someone came in and asked one of the staff, uh, I want to do this. And they said, oh, go and see old Joe over there, um, which was my father. And that name stuck. And even my mother called him Joe. So, so you have a whole him, list of Georges. So we have a whole list of Georges. Yes, yes, yes. Um, even in the Heard family, we've got lots of Georges. They go back, goes back to George Washington Heard. You're George Coverley. Have you got any nicknames? Uh, no, I don't have any nicknames, actually. <laughs> I have a cousin who is also called George, and I used to stay um, with his parents uh, in the holidays when I was at boarding school. So they called us, he was major and I was minor. <laughs> so your parents meet uh, through the Hong Kong Bank in Shanghai, and uh, when did they then come down to Hong Kong? I think about 39, uh, 38 or 39. They got married in 38. I think it was probably 39 they came down, yeah. And they knew that war was pending? Well, I suppose, I mean, people seem to have had a pretty optimistic view that something may not happen. But anyway, when my mother came down shortly afterwards, then they wanted to evacuate all the women and children and send them to Australia or somewhere. And you were supposed to go, actually. Um, it was not quite an order, but it was, you know, remember who's telling you. And my mother said, no, she said, I've only just got married. Why do I want to desert my husband? Um, so she stayed, and then I think to make herself useful and uh, practical, uh, she 
became a volunteer nurse. And so she could say, well, I am doing my bit for the war anyway. <laughs> so I'm here in Stanley Cemetery on a, a lovely sunny day uh, with George Cotherley, who is a medical products businessman and also Royal Asiatic Society Life member. And he was born in Stanley Camp in 1942 and was about number 10 of 52 children who would be born uh, during the Japanese occupation. So when you came out in 1945, so it would have been August 1945, is that too early for you to remember? I can remember things slightly before that because I can remember some instances in, in here. But when we came out, in fact, it was we didn't come out until September because the first photograph ever taken of me was on the 2nd of September, 1945, which was my third birthday. But when we finally did come out, because there was no infrastructure outside, so we were just taken to the ship and shipped back to Southampton. Um, so we actually, I never saw Hong Kong other than Stanley <laughs> until oh, so I came back in 1947. Oh, so you literally just were packed off? Yes, yeah. I mean, we, we were here for several weeks. I guess we must have been here till mid-September or so because we arrived on about the 24th or 25th of October in Southampton. And it usually took four weeks or so to get there. So that's, that's how I worked back to probably when we left. Um, now, I've actually seen a 1945 photo of uh, a Stanley Camp children. Are you on that? I'm, I'm on that, yes. That, that photo comes from me. Um, I don't know who else has the cutting, but, but my mother had the cutting, and I've treasured that and kept it all the time. Yes, yes, there were five of us, I think. The only problem with it was they got some of the names in the wrong order, so they called me someone else. Um, but I know what I looked like then, <laughs> and I, I knew what the others looked like. It was, it was just interesting. I could actually, two of the others I could actually remember uh, all these years. You know, yes, that, that that was them, and they were three years old, four years old. We're currently in the military cemetery at Stanley, but where you would have been housed as a baby up until when you were three years old was in fact part of Stanley Prison. That's right. Yes, yes, and uh, it was in the Indian Warders' quarters, um, which still stand. On occasions I have been in there. When my uh, father-in-law was around, uh, he could get us easy entry into the prison because he knew everyone. Um, so I went in with my mother one time, and that was interesting because it was the first time she'd ever been back. And uh, she pointed out things. And uh, I could always remember the roll call. So back to the back to where to the camp yes, as such, yeah, or yeah, the previous yeah, camp. Yeah, to, and so so she pointed out various things, and I I could always remember roll call where we had to stand in line. And um, in my mind, the Japanese uh, a group of Japanese soldiers would march up a hill towards us, um, and we got to a place that my mother said that's where roll call was. And I said, but where's the hill? And I suddenly realised it was a slope. But for a two- or three-year-old, it looked like a hill. And years later, another internee came, and she told me the, exactly the same story. She said, I came here. I said to my mother, where's the hill? And she said, no, we're standing on it. <laughs> yes, it's so interesting. Yes, <laughs> um, I mean, a completely different example. I was um, had the chance a couple of years ago to join my dad at a car rally in my hometown in southern England. And there was a Triumph 2000 there, which was our family car. And for me as an adult, it looks so small in comparison <laughs> to this car that I used to, to get into. Right, yes, yes. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But with the... So you would have been in uh, Indian Warder's Hut. Um, oh, well, I mean, it was a, a three- or four-storey uh, apartment block. There were, there were several. They were around a sort of a central area, a quadrant, basically. And then there were several bungalows uh, where also people were interned, one of which was tragically bombed 
uh, towards the end of the war and, and there's a, a, a mass grave here for 11 of, of people who were in that bungalow and got, were, were killed. But yes, it's part, that's the main part of, of, of going in there. That's where we go to because no one, and, you know, the internees were not in the prison itself. Um, you were only put in the prison if you transgressed. And for instance, uh, Vandela Greyburn um, was put in the prison. Um, and he was? He was the chief manager of the Hong Kong Bank and he uh, had, was arranging for money to be smuggled in to Stanley. And what happened was that people would have to go out. For instance, my father had to go out for x-rays because there was no x-ray facility here. So they went to St. Paul's Hospital. And then when you got there, he uh, then had a network which got the money uh, and then you took in bundles of money. Um, and my father, fortunately, was not caught. Um, but not long after that, uh, Dr. Talbot, who was one of about five doctors who were uh, in Stanley internment camp, um, he was caught coming in, and he could have been executed for that. Uh, but uh, Vandela Greyburn immediately owned up and said, no, I've organized all this. So he was put into Stanley jail itself. I think Talbot was also put in Stanley jail for a short while, I'm not sure. Um, and unfortunately, the conditions were so bad there that Greyburn eventually died of malnutrition. Very difficult times. As you say, your parents intentionally had you, perhaps, yeah. to have something to well, occupy them. This was absolute, yes, this was their rationale, was, well, look, we don't know how long we're going to be there. We hope we're going to be there a short time. But, you know, if it's a longer time, we're going to need something to focus on. And maybe we'll get fed up focusing on each other. So let's have a, a little child. And, I mean, my mother almost died in, in birth. She uh, was suffering from malaria and anemia at the time I was born um, and my father I was born in the middle of a typhoon and uh, so my father couldn't get to the uh, Tweed Bay Clinic which is where all this happened um, until the typhoon died down and when he got there the doctors were very relieved to see him and said well look now um, you've got a son my father was delighted they said now look you've got a problem um, your wife needs a blood transfusion so my father said fine go ahead they said well we better tell you uh, she could die from it um, so he said, well, what happens if she doesn't have it? She will die. So said, well, there's no argument. There is there, blood transfusion. And, I mean, she didn't have uh, the most typical blood grouping. So the fact they were able to find the right blood for her was something of a miracle, I, I always felt. Um, but she pulled through, but she was ill for a very long time. Then my father was ill several times while he was in there. I had dysentery at least once. Um, so, you know, there's, um, there's, there was a lot of medical issues that well, the doctors managed to, to deal with very, very effectively. I was going to say, as a medical products businessman anyway, you'll have an even keener appreciation for the, for the lack of stuff that Absolutely. would have been during this time. <laughs> but, I mean, tell me about this Tweed Bay Clinic. Was this part of Stanley Camp then? Yes, yes. I think it's still, it's still there today. That was the clinic for the prison, and that was the clinic that we used. Because the other clinic was outside on Stanley Village Road, so we weren't allowed out there. So everything took place in that little clinic in Tweed Bay. Now, the Japanese invasion begins on December the 8th. It's all over on December the 25th. You say your mother was a, a nurse at uh, Bowen Road Hospital. So did she train? No, they call them VADs. Presumably she got some... Uh, training on the job, I, I guess. I don't know. And maybe, maybe before the war, having joined up, because I think was she was voluntary auxiliary. Voluntary, or, yes, I'm sure they must have had some training because she joined before the war started. So there was time to to give them some training. But it was some pretty brutal things that they 
had to uh, deal with. People came in very, very badly injured. Um, and she had, a, I remember her uh, referring to the Canadian soldiers. She had a lot of sympathy for them because these were very young boys who had no, virtually no military training before they came out. And uh, a lot of them ended up in Bowen, Bowen Road Hospital. Yes, she would have uh, seen many things that you wouldn't normally see on an average day in a hospital. Absolutely, yes. I think it was probably pretty grim for her, but she got through it. I mean, she was, in, in one sense, she was very fortunate. She wasn't among that group of nurses that were sent down uh, here um, and were massacred. Um, so, you know, you take your luck when you can get it. <laughs> can you describe your parents to me? Because you found out a little bit more when your mother was actually separately interviewed. But did they sort of, when you, as you were growing up, did they talk about the war? Yes, they, they I, I know from other internees I've met, over time that some of their parents were very unwilling to talk about it but my parents always talked about it I mean my regret is that I didn't realize the importance of it I didn't pump them for more information but no we always talked about it um, and they would tell me things about what I did and so I have a bunch of memories from them um, but I also have you know three or four which I'm convinced are actual real real memories that I can remember, even though they all took place probably when I was around two and a half years old. Yeah. But there would have been, I think, also some aspects of life uh, within a camp that would have been, you know, so, so make such an impression, perhaps. Um, but uh, I wonder what you did pick up as a toddler, actually, because there would have been, as you say, these people wheeling you about. I wonder how protected you were from perhaps the malnutrition. Well, that was, of course, the big challenge for one's parents was to try and keep you reasonably fed. And my mother told me that basically uh, over time she sold all the jewelry she had on her because she couldn't take it in, but to get uh, money for food for me. And uh, I mean, for instance, uh, you, if you're on milk formula, you never got the same brand uh, each time. Uh, you got whatever was available. So as a, as a baby, you had to be pretty tolerant and I was going to say if she by the time she's giving birth to you if she has malaria and anemia yeah. did that have a, any kind of impact on you well obviously not no I mean uh, I mean when the war ended and we went back to England my mother was very afraid that I must have all sorts of uh, defects from lack of nutrition etc so immediately she took me to the local doctor and he gave me a thorough examination he said well that's about the healthiest three-year-old I've examined in a long <laughs> long time so I think it just shows humans adapt extremely well to all of this and I mean I do remember part of my diet when I was older which was congee and ever since then I've never liked congee and one of my actual memories is the congee lineup and we used to line up to get served our congee from a big cauldron and in metal bowls. And I would proudly hold my metal bowl all along until it came to the congee being put in because it was too hot for me to hold. So it's had hand metal bowl to my father and let him burn his hands on it. Um, so so congee was, was a big staple even for us youngsters. Yeah. Yes. And what else would you have been able to have? I mean, there were vegetables because they could grow vegetables. I think there was very little in the way of meat, but probably that was a good thing. Now what we learn about meat. <laughs> so it may have given us a few extra years, actually. <laughs> Again, feeding on your medical products experience. When you say that, that your father would go out and have an x-ray at St Paul's, what was an x-ray like in those days? They were pretty basic. I really can't remember what those machines were, but I can only remember the x-rays sort of right about the 50s and 60s, but I think they were not very effective, but obviously they gave them the basic things they needed.
Now I've had a couple of blood transfusions where I also had anemia, and uh, you know, and I just remember this yeah. bag and right, being yes. very grateful to the donor. But in your, I mean, I don't know what they do with the platelets and all the rest of it. But um, in terms of your mum, it would have been literally trying to find somebody with O with. A yeah. minus yes, or whatever. I think, I think she was OA or something. Right. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, yes, I mean they would have they would have had to go around. I, 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 maybe by that time there had been need for blood, so maybe they had blood donors and therefore they're blood type people they knew what it was because of course you had to be very careful not to give the wrong blood type to, to someone. But that's an interesting question. Yes, uh, maybe they were pretty well organised. Uh, yes. Now, all of these aspects and the fact that, as you say, they're trying to bring the money in, and I know that medicines were also smuggled in at great risk to the people involved, and it must have been really hard for them knowing what materials would normally be available and how they would have had to ad hoc. Well, absolutely, of. yeah. I mean, that was a real test of their skills, and, and uh, they obviously did extremely well. I mean, many people came through and survived where they, you know, where it should have been a problem, but under those circumstances, it obviously was going to be a problem. Yes, because if you were able to grow your own vegetables and whatever could grow... But probably not enough for 2,000 people. No. <laughs> so... Yes, no, I think... Patches, I think that was it, you know. Yes, I mean, the older children who are now obviously in their 70s or 80s who I've interviewed, they actually said that this issue of not having enough food has had an impact throughout their lives. Oh, well, yeah, it's interesting. For me, I, I, I wouldn't connect anything back to that of having little food. Maybe I was lucky. Maybe I got more food than they did. And perhaps it was just because you were that much younger. I don't know. But Yes, yeah. I mean, I think people who came in age five, six, used already to a certain level. Yeah, I, uh, people like Peter Hall, and so I, I can imagine, yeah, they probably had some much longer effects. But when you're born there, you know nothing. So you've got nothing to compare. You lived in an Indian warder's hut, as we described it, but in fact it's a three or four storey building. Did you, as a family, have a room to yourselves or were you sharing? Well, in a way, we were very fortunate. We didn't have a room to ourselves. We were in an alcove in a corridor and there was room, I think, for two beds. And I was very proud because my bed was full of bugs. And I used to go around saying to people, I've got bugs in my bed. I've got bugs in my bed. Uh, I wouldn't say that today. <laughs> I'd be horrified at it. And we just sort of had a curtain for privacy. And then we had a window which overlooked the prison. And you were not allowed to look out on the prison. But one of my father's jobs that he was given was to look out and see who was in the prison, see who was surviving and who wasn't surviving. And so that was also a little bit dangerous And if, if, if you were watched. So you had to carefully look behind the curtains there as well. So he had a sort of a viewpoint yes, uh, outside. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think from that point of view, we didn't have to share a room. So we had a, our own private area, which was, I think, obviously helpful in, in, in many ways. Now, you were told by other people in more recent years how you were bounced on their knee or pushed in a pram. Do you know what sort of games they invented for you when you were in? They did make us toys, and my mother told me that they used to give me a toy for Christmas. And they, but they were all handmade. So Mabel Anslow is the sister of Barbara Anslow. Oh, yes, yes, right. yes. One of Barbara's uh, duties was to record the births. So she recorded my birth, and she also noted that... It was one of the reasons why I knew my mother was ill, so ill, that she made a comment about that. And she actually sent me a, a photocopy of the entry in her diary where she, on the day I was born, to say baby Colody was born. She said, I'm sorry, I couldn't give you any other name because they hadn't given you one at that time either. So <laughs> there were two of us born on consecutive days. Oh, my yes, gosh, yes. busy camp. Yeah, very busy. Yeah.
I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? That on the one hand, there would have been those that said, right, all women, children must go to Australia and and uh, be evacuated to to wherever. Some went down to the Philippines first. That the idea was that there wouldn't be sufficient food in order to supply these children. And I know there was, for, from some people, a bit of resentment that there were families around taking the supplies from the men in a way, or, or having to share these supplies out because they'd decided to stay. But conversely, I would have imagined that having children around actually kept people a bit saner sometimes. Oh, I would think so, yes, yeah. I mean, they arranged schooling for the children with very mediocre materials, but they did, so they had that sort of discipline. And I think the children did enliven people's lives and, and give something for people to, to look forward to and, and enjoy. So, yeah, it was a very, I'm sure it was a, a very important psychological element, uh, although it had its own burdens of responsibility. But I mean, I would also say that for the marriage itself, or anybody who's in captivity, you're not quite 24 hours together. But that that would also take quite a bit of understanding, compassion, patience. Well, my father particularly, my mother had a hot temper. Uh, <laughs> she had a very, very hot temper. My father was a very benign person, and I'm sure he was able to take all the stresses and just calm my mother down when things got too much for her and I mean he was someone who liked people I mean the abiding impression I had of his view of people was that he always liked to look on people's good side he hated criticizing people he never said that directly but that's how I felt about him was that he felt that you should forgive people their sins and <laughs> look to the positive side of them and enjoy that I'm with medical products businessman and Royal Asiatic Society life member George Cotherley here at the Military Cemetery in Stanley, born in September 1942 at the Stanley Civilian Camp. About 10th in 52 children who were born here. You would stay in the camp, but then would you also, you were able to go down to, is it Tweed Bay Beach? Or? Yes, yes. I mean, that, that's, that's another of my memories. Not Tweed Bay Beach itself, but I, I have a clear recollection of the little steps to go down and come up and some poor skeleton uh, was asked to carry me up because the paving stones were too hot for my feet i just remember that it's it's uh, interesting uh, i don't know why i should remember it but i do remember it's one of one of my few uh, actual memories i think yeah so you've got a baby that was born did everybody just rally around with supplies yeah i think that's what that's what happened i mean uh, th since there were 50 odd of us born yes people must have and they made clothes and, and this sort of thing and because th there were no children's clothes so people actually had to sit down and make them but uh, obviously they gave us the very bare minimum um, that we needed but i never ever had shoes until we left camp and my photograph on my third birthday there i am shoeless and as a result of that, I did cut my foot one time, and it was Dr. Talbot who sewed my foot up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, don't want any infections. <laughs> right. So when you're evacuated in September 1945, you're taking straight to the port in order to go out to Southampton. So what sort of ship and where did you go out of? It was a troop ship. So I presume it, it must have gone out from the Caldum docks and then sailed. Um, it would have stopped on the way. Well, I know one place it stopped at, and that was at Suez, because if we go back to that picture of all these kids in 24th or 25th of October, it was cold, and we all had warm clothes. And I always wondered, how did we get those clothes? And this lady who came through, she remembered, because she was much older than us. And I, I asked her that question. I said, look, because her, her sister was in the photographs, so I was showing it. And I said, well, how do we get these warm clothes? They said, when we got to Suez, uh, they were waiting for us. 
and they'd ship them out from England and people picked up what they needed. <laughs> so that photograph is taken on board the troop ship? Yes, it's taken on board after it docked in Southampton before we got off it and it was in one of the newspapers. Uh, so did everybody from Stanley travel on that troop ship to Southampton or just the British? People travelled on, on a number of ships depending on where you, people went to America, people went to Australia. I don't know how many ships went back to England, whether we were the first one or whether there were, whether there were several. But um, yeah, all of us were of course destined for the UK. We were all British citizens. So you go to Southampton and then you come back two years later at age five, is it? Yes, yeah, so we got to Southampton in 45. My brother was born in October 46. By that time, my father had come back to Hong Kong to rejoin the bank. And then I think we waited until they thought my brother was old enough to be able to come on a ship. And we arrived back here in February, March 47. And I, that's another of my very early memories was because it was foggy and the ship had to anchor outside and I was absolutely devastated because I was so looking forward to seeing my father and, and the fact that we had to wait a few more hours. I think I cried myself to sleep. My thanks to George Cotherley, who was born in Stanley Civilian Internment Camp in September 1942. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>